Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie and Chris are off tonight. A Metro Vancouver couple is heartbroken and speaking out because their daughter has been missing in Iran for more than 15 months. There is no record of her arrest or any charges, but the family believes the 35-year-old woman is being detained. Nagar Mushtahedi has more on this Global News exclusive. A tearful plea for help. A father desperate to find his missing daughter. <laughs> 35-year-old Canadian-Iranian from Metro Vancouver, Behnush Bahraminian, has been missing in Iran for nearly a year and a half. Her family believes she has been detained. There's no record of her arrest or of any charges, but the family says two sources in Iran allege she's being held on super threats to national security. <laughs> She left for Iran with her partner, Matthew Safari, also known as Majid, in November of 2021. Her parents say the couple had plans to travel to the Persian Gulf island of Kish. They were in constant contact with her, but since landing in Tehran, nothing. Matthew, also Canadian-Iranian from B.C., allegedly promised to buy this apartment on the island. But calls made to Royal Box Construction Group show he never purchased anything. Behnush's family also doesn't know of Matthew's whereabouts either. <laughs> Global News reached out to Foreign Affairs Minister Melanie Jolie's office, which referred the question to officials at Global Affairs Canada. They said they are aware and are gathering further information to provide consular assistance. The family notified Global Affairs of Behnush's mysterious disappearance last year. In recorded phone conversations, Global Affairs confirms that contact did occur and also confirms they didn't act after they were made aware she had disappeared in Iran. When a family representative asked why, they said they were waiting for a callback that never happened. A policy, the family says, makes no sense. When you know a Canadian citizen has been detained in another country and she's been missing, why you didn't call the family and why there was no phone call, no follow-up afterward. Good question, sir. I, I, I would check and uh, get back to you. No, no, you, you were on your computer yesterday. When I was talking to you, you said I can check the computer and then you didn't give me a clear answer. Um, this is my second follow-up. It's getting sensitive, okay? We, we, we'll just take the time to speak to the person. Well, you have taken your time. Hold on a second. No, no, no. I don't accept that. You guys were just sitting around and you didn't do your job. And now you're just looking for excuses. Behnush is a citizen of Canada and should be the last message the family received from Behnush was a text she sent to her brother Mohammed on November the 5th, 2021. She wrote, I'm not in Turkey, with a photo of what her family says is the hotel the couple stayed at during their layover in Istanbul. 
Behnush's boarding pass shows her as being on Turkish Airlines Flight 76 from Vancouver to Istanbul on November the 4th, landing in Tehran on Flight 872 on November the 6th. But the Imam Khomeini Airport Police Authority provided a document to the Bahraminians saying Behnush was seen at the airport in Tehran on November the 9th. It's unclear what happened between November the 6th and 9th at the airport. I help her with the renovation. Standing in the now abandoned downtown Vancouver apartment of his sister, Mohammed feels sadness surrounded by Behnush's presence. All these things around here just reminds me of her. I always look at, look at her, her, her bed. She, she, she's, she's not there. It's very difficult. Very difficult. Her family says Behnush loved life. They say she was not a political person and was a manager at a West Vancouver spa. And the fact that after 15 months they don't tell us what has happened, it just shows me that she hasn't done anything. Because if she did something, she should have told us. I wish I could go one year before so I could tell my sister not to go to Iran. Life for the Bahraminians has been put on hold. An open wound, they say, that just won't heal until they bring Behnush back home. Negar Moshehedi, Global News. The Combined Forces Special Enforcement Unit is carrying out multiple raids on the Lower Mainland. Today, officers were seen executing a search warrant at a North Vancouver home near West Queens Road and Woodbine Drive. The CFSEU says it was one of several raids in the region as part of a firearms investigation. Search warrants were also carried out in Coquitlam, Maple Ridge, Langley and Burnaby. New insight into just how much hate incidents climbed during the pandemic. BC's Human Rights Commissioner took a look at the numbers and concluded the rise in hate based on gender, race, sexual orientation and more was profound. And as Richard Zussman reports tonight, the commissioner says neither the government nor legal system did enough to protect people. A clear symptom of COVID-19, a rise of hate. We lost our collective innocence in a sense. On Tuesday, BC's Human Rights Commissioner Kasari Govender releasing an 18-month inquiry into the issue. Overall hate reported to police climbing dramatically from 506 reported cases in 2019 to 1,120 in 2021, an 118% increase. Race-based hate up from 207 reported cases to 418, up 102%. And religious-based reported hate cases up from 122 to 212, a 74% increase. The data that we're presenting here is limited to police reporting statistics, which doesn't adequately reflect the scope of the problem. Govender finding legal and political responses have largely been ineffective dealing with hate, and community engagement is much more effective. Through our participation, we learned that there is immense power the inquiry leading to 12 recommendations, including funding community-led reporting for hate incidents, requiring mandatory training for police, and expanding the K-12 anti-hate curriculum in schools. The pandemic amplified and revealed the ugly underbelly of hate, racism, transphobia, and more that exists in all of our communities. 
The province says it's now working to implement the recommendations. The inquiry also found the province has a severe inability to collect data around these sort of incidences and social media companies are unwilling to share the data they do have. As other uh, places around the world uh, build walls and tell groups that they're not welcome, British Columbia is going to stay open. The Human Rights Commission also wanting legal powers to oversee a province-wide anti-hate strategy. A hope, if one thing is learned from the pandemic, it's that this sort of hate can be stopped. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. One person needed medical attention after a violent altercation in Port Moody involving three teenagers. It happened Sunday afternoon in the Park and Ride lot near Moody and Clark Streets. Police responded to calls about a group of youths attacking a man using weapons that included a knife and a hammer. The suspects fled the scene but were arrested a short time later at a SkyTrain station and their weapons were seized by police. The victim did sustain some injuries. They were minor in nature, thankfully, um, and the victim has been treated for those injuries. Uh, as far as we know, the victim and the suspects are not known to each other, um, and this, this incident occurred over some sort of verbal altercation which escalated to this point of violence. Um, incidents like these are, are so rare in our community, but really concerning. If you witness the attack, contact Port Moody Police. Well, as British Columbians keep seeing their grocery bills climb, the B.C. government is committing $200 million to help improve food production and distribution chains and bumping up funding for food banks. Global's Julie Nolan explains. More money rolling out from the province, this time to improve access to food for all British Columbians. We'll work with trusted partners like Food Banks B.C. and United Way to distribute fresh food to people in need and to support the infrastructure that food banks need to do that more effectively, especially in rural, northern and indigenous communities. The $200 million announcement is designed to increase food security and to also create essential partnerships with local producers to strengthen the food supply chain. It's about getting more locally grown, more BC produced food on everyone's table because that supports food producers as well as the health and wellness of British Columbians. Citing a recent series of climate disasters plus the pandemic, the province says this is a critical move due to current global inflation and more economic instability to come. We will be improving the resiliency of BC's food supply by investing in further climate preparedness and mitigation work. We're very excited about it. I mean, it's, a, uh, it's an important commitment that the uh, provincial government's making in supporting food banks and other hunger relief agencies right now. As food banks experience record-breaking demand across the country, Food Banks BC says the money is a welcome boost. The support that we're going to be receiving from the provincial government will only help alleviate some of that strain. The province calls this an unprecedented investment with the hopes of keeping British Columbians fed through times of uncertainty. Julie Nolan, Global News. And Keith Baldry joins us with more on the province's ongoing spending. Keith, the NDP is making no apologies for spending that surplus. No, indeed. In fact, that's the subject of debate here for about a week now. What do you do with the surplus? By law, if it's not spent by March 31st, it goes against the provincial debt. You can't take today's money in terms of a surplus and put it against next year's deficit, and counting rules don't allow for that. So the spending is in front of the House on a line-by-line -line basis, uh, $500 million for VC ferries, a billion-dollar infrastructure fund for municipalities. 
$150 million to the BC Cancer Foundation. The Liberals are opposing each one of these in a recorded standing vote. The reason they say is basically there's no accountability or minimal scrutiny, not a lot of details associated with the spending of so much money. We're talking about billions of dollars. Premier David Eby asked about that today. He said his take is, is shows the difference in terms of priorities between the opposition and the government. I do want to take a moment uh, to reflect on a, a point of departure, uh, frankly, between us and the opposition about the surplus. We believe uh, that when the province has a $5 billion surplus and people are hurting across the province, that money should be put to work. It's important for British Columbians to know uh, that it matters who is in government. If the BC Liberals were in government, we wouldn't be funding cancer care, we wouldn't be fun funding Next Generation 911. We wouldn't be doing announcements like this. I disagree with them, but I respect it, and that's why we have the debate in the legislature, and that's why we have the vote on these things, so that people know the difference between our, our two approaches. Now, again, the BC Liberals say they're not necessarily against what the money's being spent on. It's just there's, not a, there's a complete lack of details associated with that spending, not going through the normal budgeting process. And the spending's not over yet, Jordan. Uh, the hot buzz around here is TransLink is due for a pretty big cash injection, again, from this one-time-only payment uh, in the current surplus. So look for more spending announcements between now and March 31st. All right. We'll wait for details on that. Keith, thank you. A new link between video games and gambling. What a BC researcher has uncovered about so-called loot boxes and the allegation they're in breach of Canada's criminal code. That's next on the News Hour. Closing BC's gender pay gap. How employers will be forced by law to be more transparent. Coming up. And why a section of Burnaby Parkland could be turned into an organic waste plant. And the accusations it's being done under the radar. That's later. Right now, a BC researcher is sounding an alarm about a popular part of video games, which he says could be creating a new generation of gamblers. In a presentation at the BC Lottery Corporation's Responsible Gaming Conference, he says his findings might be of particular concern for parents. Jasmine Bala reports. It's Holland! Yes! A rare drop oh in God. this game. They've redeemed themselves! Thank you, EA. But to get it, you've got to buy one of these and hope you get lucky. A loot box is like a mystery box inside a, a video game. Um, you can uh, win a, a randomized prize. You don't know what you're going to get. Taking a chance to win big. It sounds similar to another sort of gaming. And it turns out there is a connection. Uh, just on their loot box spending, the people who are spending more on loot boxes are more likely to initiate gambling. New research from UBC shows loot boxes can be a gateway to gambling. The boxes with countless variations are present through a lot of big titles. So that's quite a lot of applications for uh, age restrictions around that feature, given that the gambling is an age-restricted activity. Some countries have taken regulatory steps on the issue. Just this week, Austrian court ruled FIFA's loot boxes are a form of gambling. In Canada, a BC law firm has multiple lawsuits against several video game companies, alleging companies who sell loot boxes in their video games are in breach of Canada's criminal code and are operating unlicensed illegal gaming systems. In one case, they've reached a settlement. Worlds of video gaming and the world of, of gambling are moving closer together. And I'm going to play completely standard, guys. And you see that in other 
other ways too. On Twitch, a streaming platform largely used by people playing video games. And more recently we see that people have started to, to, to broadcast themselves gambling. It's one of the top categories on the website and Wu's research shows the people who are watching are mostly young men who are more vulnerable to gambling. This is concerning, right? Because, you know, when gamblers aren't out there and gambling, if, if they're watching these streams, the cravings that are triggered from these might push them to, to go and gamble. The future of gambling and gaming connected in these emerging forms of betting. Jasmine Bala, Global News. Detox housing delays. It's vital to have this uh, facility up and running. BC needs more treatment spaces, so why has one project been stuck behind red tape for four years? We go looking for answers coming up. And right after the break, the safety gaps highlighted by the tragic death of a cyclist in North Vancouver. Seaport Man is slow going eastbound because of that stall at the bottom of Johnson Hill in the HOV lane. You are going to be tapping on your brakes from United Boulevard, but westbound you are absolutely flying over the bridge, so at least that's good news. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $19 million. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Jerry Mayer Judson in the Global Traffic Center. A woman's death yesterday in North Vancouver shows how vulnerable cyclists are on city roads. She was on her bike when she collided with a dump truck at a busy intersection. And as Aaron MacArthur shows us, no matter who is at fault in collisions like these, the cyclist always loses. Investigators still trying to piece together how a cyclist died Monday in North Vancouver. A dump truck turning right collided with a woman in her 40s at the corner of Lonsdale and 23rd. Now cycling advocates are calling for improved infrastructure at what is known as a dangerous intersection. We need to do a lot more and a lot faster. According to Hub, the city of North Vancouver has been proactive in prioritizing transportation options for vulnerable road users, but not quickly enough. Gaps in the system leave cyclists and pedestrians exposed to extra risk. ICBC data suggests there have been 136 collisions of all types at that intersection in the last five years. Two involving vehicles and pedestrians, one with a mobility scooter, and one with a cyclist. According to the North Vancouver RCMP, collisions between commercial vehicles and cyclists is something they're keeping an eye on. It is a problem that we see and we recognize and we're working with our partners to address those issues through different means, whether by engineering or doing enforcement or, you know, just wearing awareness to the public. The District of North Vancouver is also examining the cause of the collision in a statement saying, we have begun our own review to determine if there are additional actions the city could take to enhance the safety of road users in this area. Uh, what we need to do is take the conflict out between a person driving, a person cycling, and a person walking. Construction along this stretch of Lonsdale has been extensive recently. Tuesday, extra cones and signage placed at the intersection. Lessons learned too late. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The overdose public health emergency is accelerating, killing nearly seven people in B.C. every day during January. Solutions are elusive, but one thing that everyone agrees on is the need for more treatment spaces, which makes it so puzzling that construction of a treatment center in Vancouver has been held up by red tape for four years and counting. Kristen Robinson investigates. 
With literally no signs of a massive detox and social housing complex approved in February 2019 for an entire block of Vancouver's East First Avenue, the few remaining tenants are getting extra time in their city-owned rental properties. I'm glad I didn't move out sooner when they were asking us to move out because I get to stay in a much better place than what they're going to offer later. The city is partnering with BC Housing and Vancouver Coastal Health on the project touted as the largest of its kind in BC, designed to tackle the twin affordability and addiction crises with nearly 100 affordable rental units and a withdrawal management center. I think it's going to be huge for, for people who are seeking support for addiction services. It's vital to have this uh, facility up and running. More than 11,000 people have died due to toxic drugs since BC's public health emergency was declared in April 2016. The plan was to start construction here in early 2020, but BC Housing says it's still waiting on building permits. The city says the original building design was submitted based on regulations in the 2014 building bylaw and the project had site challenges, quote, due to these lengthy delays, the application could not be approved under the 2014 bylaw and required the design to be aligned with the current 2019 bylaw. We can't go back in time, but I would hope that more proactively, we can take a more thoughtful approach to grandfather in some of these things and really expedite the process, especially in a consideration like this project, which is actually a life-saving intervention for folks who are otherwise dying on our streets. The City of Vancouver understands how important this project is. Uh, we're working through those bylaw changes that uh, were brought in just recently. I do think we're going to get this project up and running under construction this fall. I'm very optimistic, at least, in the sense that, you know, uh, that it will get built. I'd like to see that process start uh, yesterday. Which means the countdown is on for this 35-year tenant. When they get the permits, then you will get your notice to move. That's been going on for about three years. Kristen Robinson, Global News. Coming up, the big outpouring of help for a dying woman evicted from her home. I thank you so much. You have no idea how humbling that is for us. How the community rallied when her landlord appeared to show no mercy. Also, the new rules that could begin to close the gender pay equity gap in B.C. One third of Canadian children are at risk of going to school every day on an empty stomach. And being hungry makes it harder for them to learn. That's why Global News is partnering with Toonies for Tummies to provide nutritious meals to children in need in your community. Please donate today. The Arthur Lang Bridge is looking awesome both ways from Vancouver to Sea Island. You got a little bit of company on the road, but no delays at all. Through a charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Auto Glass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Jerry Mayer Judson in the Global Traffic Center. A former Surrey Mountie turned MLA is set to introduce a private member's bill tomorrow with the goal of saving lives. As Romina Dale reports, the initiative is in part a response to the tragic death of a young Vancouver police constable. Global News has learned the family of suicide victim VPD Constable Nicole Chan is expected to be in Victoria Wednesday for the introduction of the bill, which will focus on changes to the Mental Health Act to better protect people in crisis and help prevent suicide deaths.
Chen, a proud Vancouver police officer for almost 10 years, was apprehended under the Mental Health Act the night before she took her life in January 2019. But she was released from the Access and Assessment Centre at VGH one hour and 20 minutes after being triaged. Chan's boyfriend, police and paramedics thought it was a mistake, given Chan's history of suicide attempts. At the public inquest into Chan's death earlier this year, one officer testified Chan knew what to say to get released from hospital. The treating psychiatrist testified he did not have all the information. He said he could not legally hold Chan against her will. Liberal MLA Eleanor Sturko will introduce a private member's bill that, if passed, would require the treating doctor to take reasonable steps to consult a relative or another person with first hand knowledge before making the decision to release someone who is in crisis who was admitted to hospital under the mental health act a private member's bill rarely gets called for debate let alone becomes law we'll have full coverage wednesday romina dea global news the bc government has introduced legislation to help close the pay gap between men and women in this province once the pay transparency legislation is passed as of november 1st all employers will be gradually required to include wage or salary ranges on all publicly advertised jobs. As well, they will not be able to ask prospective employees how much they made in their previous jobs or punish workers who disclose their pay to colleagues or prospective employees. Despite all of the progress we've made on gender equity, women in British Columbia are still paid 17% less than men. For Indigenous women, visible minority women and immigrant women, the gap is even higher. The good news is uh, that the uh, income earned by women is growing uh, the fastest in British Columbia of any province in Canada. That women uh, and employment of women uh, grew the fastest out of the pandemic of any province in Canada. And we believe that both of those are due to the fact that we have been rolling out our uh, child care program across the province. The requirement to post salary information will begin this fall for the provincial government. Larger private companies in November 2024 and smaller private companies the year after that. A Nanaimo woman dying of organ failure has a much better chance at comfortable end-of-life care thanks to help from the community and complete strangers. She and her husband were recently evicted by a landlord she says had very little sympathy for her condition. Kylie Stanton has more on their plans to find a new home and why it isn't easy. I'm not feeling good today, so... Still living in a motel, struggling to eat, and in need of rest. I just want to lay down. These past few weeks, taking a toll. She's deteriorating and, you know, I gotta watch it, but I'm there for her, 100%. Up until last Thursday, Sharon Kowalchuk had been living here with her husband in South Nanaimo. But the couple say they were told they were being evicted alongside the other tenants with just two weeks' notice. That bitch was lying. The couple says the landlord is Duart Rapton, but when Global News approached him for comment last week, he had this to say. You guys ruined my life. What seems to have struck a chord with the public. A GoFundMe set up for Kowalchuk has now raised more than $35,000. The comment section flooded with words of support. That's amazing. Just simply amazing. Very, very grateful. Appreciate it. Like, I didn't think there's people that really cared. 
Others have gone a step further, offering to help by way of accommodation. In an email sent to Global News, one viewer writes, I have a condo that I can rent to them for free. Thank you so much. You have no idea how humbling that is for us. In the meantime, the Residential Tenancy Branch's Compliance and Enforcement Unit is investigating. In a statement, BC's Housing Minister said, the CEU is interested in hearing from any other tenants that may have lived at that address in question during the months of January and February 2023. I was paying $6.50 for that little room, man. Christine Jack, who had lived there for seven years, hasn't had the chance to reach out just yet. Just looking for a place, it's hard. For Kowalchuk, with the donations still coming in, it's helped to make this fragile situation that much more bearable. A comfort she's holding on to in what little time she has left. I appreciate it with all my heart. Thank you for helping me. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Coming up, the rookie model from BC who's really turning heads. I love the designers and all the clothes. At the age of only 14, why her journey to the catwalks of Manhattan is inspiring others. Also ahead, why Burnaby residents are being asked to sacrifice part of a Riverside Park. From the stories we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Burnaby residents are being given the opportunity to decide whether they're okay with sacrificing a section of parkland for an organic waste plant. There are obvious concerns about losing green space, but as Krista Dow reports, some are just as upset with council over the process. This vast parkland nestled along the Fraser River has been the backdrop for many outdoor adventures for Josh Wong and his family. My father used to uh, bring us here when we were children and we would catch frogs, we would catch salamanders and now I actually have a two-year-old at home so I would love to you know share that same memory with him. The city of Burnaby is proposing to convert 8.5 hectares of the Fraser Foreshore Park into an organic recycling facility which could process about 150,000 tons of organic waste annually about a third of it to come from Burnaby and the rest from other municipalities for a fee. Burnaby currently ships its waste to Delta and the new facility, the city says, would be a way to help deliver on its commitment to being carbon neutral by 2050. This is not going to be an easy task and there are going to be many trade-offs. It'll provide the gas that will allow us to take our own diesel trucks off the road and allow us to, to go to RNG uh, for, for our all our vehicles that we can't electrify. But environmentalists aren't convinced. You make a park to preserve nature and you don't build on parks. You don't take parks back out. Burnaby is trucking some of our green waste elsewhere, but if they're going to build a facility that's going to require other municipalities to truck waste here, I'm not quite sure how that balances out. If other municipalities choose to do so, then they will have to use RNG or a different fuel from diesel to actually use our facility. 
Rededicating the parkland requires voter approval, so in a somewhat reverse referendum, those opposed will need to mail in their concerns to stop the $182 million project. They are building on nature under the guise of saving nature. The council should be ashamed of themselves, quite frankly. Pressing pause on the project requires about 16,000 ballots or just 10% of votes from registered voters. The last day to do so is April 28th. Krista Dow, Global News. All right, let's check in with senior meteorologist Christy Gordon now. And it was a refreshing day. Unzip the jacket sort of weather, Christy. Yeah, don't take the jacket right off. It was certainly a, a cold breeze, but you're right. It was nice to see that sunshine today, and we warmed up to 9 degrees. I want to give everyone a heads up. We're going to be talking about snowfall. We're not too far away from the end of a school term and that kids are going to be getting out for spring break. If you're traveling B.C. area, especially southern B.C., expect winter, significant winter. All right, so we've got winter weather on the way uh, for northern regions. A plunge in temperature still expected for southern regions. It has been mild with a bit of sunshine. We are going to continue with sunshine in the short term, but this is the overall pattern. We've been dealing with these upper level lows. That means that there's cold air in the higher elevations, and we've got another pulse that's going to shift down just southwest of Vancouver Island and then cross southern BC. This is late in the week, just in time when people are probably going to be traveling. So Friday into Saturday, heavy snowfall expected across southern BC. In particular, we're watching the Kootenai area. But heads up to everyone that will be traveling week. Make sure you're prepared for winter weather. All right. In the short term, we've got sunshine on the way for southern BC. Vancouver Island, you're not in the clear, though. You do have a chance of wet flurries over higher elevations and a chance of showers, but mainly across western sections. And for our region, a chance of showers returns tomorrow evening. Tomorrow's looking great, though, and it looks like we'll see a mix of sun and cloud on Thursday also. So lots of sunshine in through the north. Uh, we are expecting a mix of sun and cloud with just a slight chance of showers across these regions. Vancouver Island, again, Wet flurries are possible over higher elevations, and majority of the showers will be across the west part of Vancouver Island. Metro Vancouver, it's just a chance of showers towards the evening hours. Overall, you can expect a mix of sun and cloud through your Wednesday. Thursday's also looking uh, great in that we will see dry conditions, it looks like. And then Friday, that's when that upper level trough shifts across. Look how cold it will get Friday. We could even see snow over higher elevations. And yes, as we head into the weekend, it's looking unsettled. Tonight, center wind weather window comes to you from the Brentwood Bay area. Al Webb sharing that with us. Beautiful shot from the sunset last night. Thanks, Al, for that. Thank you, Christy. And thank you, Al. Mm -hmm. Spring and Squire now doesn't count in the MLS standings, but a big game for the Whitecaps tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I think these games can mess you up because you have to play regular season games in the middle of them. We're talking about the Champions League series. The Whitecaps will start tomorrow against Real España of Honduras at BC Place. It's massive. It's the biggest stage you can get onto um, in CONCACAF. The Caps lost both of the regular season games so far this year. Can they finally break through and win in Champions League? Thank you, Squire. Also ahead, the Steveston teenager taking the fashion world by storm.
One third of Canadian children are at risk of going to school every day on an empty stomach. And being hungry makes it harder for them to learn. That's why Global News is partnering with Toonies for Tummies to provide nutritious meals to children in need in your community. Please donate today. There you go. Vanny, haven't seen him in a while. I haven't. Well, he's been asking about you. I don't know why. Uh, Something you know. I said. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, of all the uh, Whitecaps, Vanny Sartini, Jordan's good friend, <laughs> is the uh, one who really can't afford another slow start to the season. And the uh, first two games have seen Vancouver play well at times, but they've blown one nothing leads and lost 2-1. So think of it this way. It's kind of like Bruce Boudreaux's start with the Canucks this season. And a bad start could mean Vanny Sartini, like Boudreaux, doesn't get to finish the season as the Whitecaps head coach. Tomorrow, Vancouver will start the Champions League tournament hosting Real España from Honduras, a game where Vancouver really must win for a lot of reasons, Vanny being one of them. In a competition like this where there's a, a second leg match, but it's kind of do or die, it's like a playoff game, so the importance is stop, I would say 10 out of 10, and because uh, we need, we, try, we want to go as far as we can in this competition. <laughs> Vanny Sartini and the Vancouver Whitecaps are going all-in on the CONCACAF Champions League. Sartini's planning on using a strong cap starting 11 when they face their Honduran competitors Wednesday night in the first leg of their two-game opening round matchup at BC Place. This from a Whitecap side that started the Major League Soccer season winless in two with an MLS matchup coming on the weekend. We need a win in order to, to I would say, literally uh, put the, the switch on the sunny position again and uh, and keep keep working like we're doing and in order to not uh, reduce the confidence that we have at the moment. In a perfect world, the Whitecaps would love to have success in both MLS and CONCACAF championship play. But achieving those lofty heights isn't easy. Just ask the Seattle Sounders who went the distance and won the Champions League in 2022, but then proceeded to miss the MLS playoffs. The harsh reality is, the further you go, the tougher it gets. And that's not lost on the players. Yeah, I think it definitely um, it can affect the team in a way, for sure. Um, a lot of guys will get minutes if we make a deep run in this thing. That might you know, potentially affect them for the league. At the end of the day, you want to win. So if we're winning games in this thing, hopefully, like I said, it translates into, into the league as well and people stay healthy. An arduous task in so many ways when you factor in the Caps are about to embark on five games over the next 14 days. That includes a quick trip to Honduras next week. I know the goal is to win the whole tournament. Um, you see a lot of people say, you know, they want to make a run or, or things like that, where I think our goal is to actually win the tournament. Um, so, yeah. A big part of the Canucks 4-3 shootout win last night against Nashville was rookie netminder Artur Silovs, who was in the game because Thatcher Demko needed a rest and Colin Delia was too sick to play. The fact he had to play in a game he wasn't expecting to play in and then made 29 saves and made all three shootout saves certainly has put him in the conversation about being the Canucks backup goalie next season. And the head coach Rick Tockett has noticed Silovs' improvement in a short time, and his record in Abbotsford this year is a pretty impressive 21-10-4. I mean, I'll tell you what, uh, from his first game to the, you know, how was he played to three, four games for us now, and uh, 
I tell you, he's you, you, you can tell the game's slowed down from like you know he's gone from the minors to here. It just seems like you know he's he's starting to see some stuff out there that uh, you know he's his goal to be an NHL goalie. Ahead to Novak who spins his way in on the line and centers the puck with a save by Seelops. Diving to his right to deny Luke Evangelista. Yeah, I feel more uh, confident, comfortable, you know, like getting like all the like speed shots, right? You're getting, uh, you already like can read what they're going to do. So it's getting easier. And the Canucks signed defenseman Guillaume Brisebois to a new two-year contract extension. He's been with Vancouver since 2015 when he was drafted in the third round. He's been mainly a minor league guy for the Canucks who gets called up when there are injuries, but he is a useful veteran to have around for that reason. He can fill in on a bottom pairing when needed. The New York Giants are about to sign quarterback Daniel Jones to a four-year contract worth $160 million. They've agreed to it. They also put the franchise tag on running back Saquon Barkley. He led the Giants to a winning record and won a playoff game over Minnesota. He's coming off his best season as a pro. The Victoria rink, skipped by Jacques Gauthier, won again this afternoon at the Briar, beating New Brunswick 10-4. BC scored five in the seventh to break the game wide open. All right, Champions League in Europe. Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea. Dortmund won the first game, 1-0. So in the aggregate, it's now 1-1, a handball. And Chelsea has a penalty kick, but Kai Havertz hits the post. But look at this. They give him a re-kick because Dortmund encroached too soon. So on the re-kick, he doesn't miss. And Chelsea moves on to the quarterfinals with a 2-1 aggregate win over Dortmund. There you go. All right, thank you, Squire. Just ahead, the BC fashion model, who's also a model for mental health. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you by JM Media. Visit jmmedia.ca. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us. When BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Maya Cruz has launched a successful career as a fashion model. She is also someone who has struggled with depression and PTSD. Now she's using her success to help others struggling with their mental health. Jada Rant caught up to her off the runway for This is BC. Love it. Love it. Amaya Cruz has had a very successful first year of her young modeling career. Several photo shoots with local designers and a number of runway shows, including a recent trip to New York. But it wasn't too long ago the teenager was really struggling with her mental health, suffering PTSD and depression. It was really bad. Like, I was very suicidal and I did want to die. I didn't really, like, pay attention to it. I was like, oh, it's nothing. It'll, it's just, like, it's just me. Like, it'll go away, but then it just kept getting worse and worse. The Touchstone Family Association in Richmond offered her counseling, and things began to improve. Modeling is now offering Amaya many opportunities, helping with her confidence. I just really had no self-esteem in myself. I really had, like, nothing that I was really proud of myself for, and now I have so much accomplishments, and I'm, like, so proud of myself, and I'm just, 
my self-esteem has gone up so much. She's now using her growing platform to raise awareness, sharing help and hotline numbers on social media, even serving as a mentor for other teens at Touchstone experiencing similar challenges. She's going to be talking about her experience. She's going to be helping them with some of the materials that we go through. And she's going to be supporting them with some of the difficult conversations that a lot of kids really struggle with talking about. Cruz's own struggles haven't gone away, but she hopes to show others that with the right support, the future looks very bright. I just want people to know that it's okay not to be okay. A lot of people just like want to hide how they feel, thinking that other people will judge them. It's okay to feel down and not happy. I'm just really grateful for everything that I've been receiving and all the support, and I'm just just really happy about like my future and hopefully what's ahead. Yes, Jay Durant, Global News. If you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC, all you have to do is email your ideas to Jay. The address is thisisbc at globalnews.ca. All right, Christy, a couple more nice days and then it's going to change a bit. Yes, and I actually thought I would point out we had a full moon actually earlier this morning, but it should be nice and bright and full and a great evening actually to check it out. So you may want to get out there for a little walk this evening. But tomorrow, a mix of sun and cloud, a chance of showers tomorrow evening, maybe even a slight risk of a thunderstorm back to dry conditions on Thursday. But pointing out Friday, periods of rain, and that's the day that we have the potential for significant snow on the mountain passes across southern BC and into Saturday. And I know the kids are getting out of school, start a spring break, a lot of families will be traveling so be aware snow is still here on the mountain passes all right we've been warned thanks christy that's the news hour sophie's back tomorrow and i'll be back later tonight at 11 good night Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.